feel free to follow along on the screens as I uh, read this morning's scripture reading, which comes from Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. and the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is the word of the living and the true God. Go ahead and take your seat. Good to see you. Glad you're here. Let's pray and ask for our Father's help, and we will get right down to work. Father, thank you for another day of life. We thank you that we're here uh, with our family, uh, ready to hear your voice. Um, it's not my voice. We, we need to hear your voice from the Word. Uh, we know um, your Word is our, our very life, uh, the words of life. Father, we know we don't even deserve to be in your family. But you sent Jesus for our rescue, and Jesus, you lived a perfect life in our, our place. You died a substitutionary death on our behalf, um, taking all of the wrath of God for our rebellion. And you gave us a new heart. You, Father, adopted us in, rescued rebels, now sons and daughters. And we recognize, too, that this was all a gift from your Spirit. Holy Spirit, you brought our hearts to life. You opened our eyes so we could see our Father, and see Jesus for who He is, uh, the very Son of God, God Himself, our rescuing King and older brother, and You opened our ears to hear our Father's voice, and we pray that You would open our ears and our eyes again this morning to hear our Dad's voice, and that You would incline our hearts to receive and believe and to respond in faith. We pray this all in the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Well, it's really good to see you. Uh, we are here for the second half of our two-part series, very short, in Psalm 16. So last week we went through verses 1 through 6, and this morning we'll hit verses 7 through the end. I think it's 12 or 13 or 11 verses. We'll finish Psalm 16. The series title is Not Abandoned. David was in a season of life where there was a very real threat to his soul, and he, he observes in this psalm that he, he feels nearly abandoned. He knows his father will not abandon him, but he feels nearly abandoned, and there's something in his life that is shaking him to his core. He knows if he stays close to the father, he will remain unshaken, but he feels, he's feeling near abandoned, and he's feeling shaken, even to the point of death. We see those illusions in this psalm. And what we saw last week was we need refuge for our souls just like we need refuge for our bodies. 
And that simple truth is embodied well by people around the globe. Um, you're all aware of the news cycle. For example, we think of the people in Afghanistan. They definitely need refuge physically for safety, but there is great violence being done to the souls of people who live in that country right now. They need refuge for their souls. They need both. And let's not talk about Afghanistan as if it's some far-off place that people in our family have not invested seasons of their life um, in that place. There are people um, in our family who are still very relationally connected with um, Afghani people, with interpreters, with friends. There are those who have lost friends and family members in that place. And so it's not just the Afghani people who need refuge. They do. But there are many who have been there, and there are many who are thoroughly invested there. They need refuge for their soul. This would you feel it. You think of the people in Myanmar that are facing ongoing persecution and oppression at the hands of an unjust government. We think of the people in the mainland of Japan who experienced ravage, just ravaged by flooding this week. We think of the countless people in Haiti who were affected by an, yet another devastating earthquake. Right? People all around the world who need refuge for their bodies, for their souls. But we're not just bodies, we are embodied souls. So there's nothing in life that happens that does not impact uh, our souls. And the images, just to circle back to Afghanistan, you can't escape, you, you cannot, you have to feel those images. You see babies handed over and children passed over and. Uh, politics aside, those types of images just sit in your soul in some kind of way. You need refuge for your soul. You need refuge for your soul. You're not in Afghanistan. You're not in Haiti. You're not in Myanmar. You're not in the mainland of Japan where it's flooding. But every person in here has a story right now of being in some kind of valley. You're acutely aware of your need for refuge. You, you know your soul needs something from God. You want help. You want things to be different. You feel a certain kind of way. So it's not just that we're talking about people out there. We're, we're talking about ourselves. We need refuge. And here's the beauty of Psalm 16. Last week we saw that it, that it serves as an invitation from our dad, an invitation to confess our need. And that's what I love about the gospel, what I love about our God. See, so much re religion and, and fraudulent expressions of Christianity posture themselves as, hey, uh, you need to put on your happy face now. We're going to church. Put on your happy face. Now, I know many of you don't like your masks, but that, that's a benefit, right? You don't have to worry about the pressure for putting on your happy face. You can just mask up now. So there's that. That'll change, though, sometime in the next three or four years, I'm sure, so don't sweat it. It's fraudulent, though. And the beauty of the gospel is that our Father invites us into his family and invites us into a public gathering of his family. And he does not say, now put on your happy face because I, I need to project some kind of image about my family to the watching world. Put on your happy face because you need to project something. You need to show how good of a Christian, a son or a daughter you are. Father, through the gospel, says, Son, I want you to put on your honest face. I want your face to tell the truth about your heart. That's, that's what Psalm 16 is. It's David telling the truth about the valley that he's in. 
Guys, it's an invitation. Some of you uh, need to hear this, maybe especially some of you men. Psalm 16 is written by a warrior king who is clearly very aware of his emotions and naming them and wrestling with them and not feigning toughness, but publicly confessing this hurts and I need help and I'm inadequate. Some of us need to hear that. So it's an invitation to confess, but there's a danger. There's a real danger. Some of us are just, we're too familiar with what's inside of Psalm 16. You're just too familiar with the contents of the Bible across the board, which is a gift in its own right, but um, there can be a real danger in that we are so familiar, yet so inactive in the practice of what we think we know and believe. In seminary, they would give you two words for that. They would call it orthodoxy and orthopraxy. And don't worry, those are the only two big words I memorized for this morning because I'm a simple guy. Orthodoxy just means right belief. We believe the right things, right? We agree to these things. And when we leave here this morning, most of us will nod. And I recognize you're not all Christians. Some of you are searching, seeking. Some of you are on the fence. Maybe you're agnostic-ish. Maybe you're atheistic-ish. Like, I don't know. Regardless, man, I'm super glad that you're here. For those of you who are Christians... We'll walk out of here giving more agreement or affirmation, intellectual assent to what's in here. We say we believe it. But uh, I heard a guy, I was listening to one report, it was with ABC, I think it was from Britain, talking about what's going on in Afghanistan right now and the gap between what our say about our intentions or what governments may say and what's actually happening. And he said, the way he said it was, there, is a, there are miles between our rhetoric and our reality. And I thought, man, that's, first of all, that's tragic and soberingly true in that context. But what an appropriate statement to make about how most of us have experienced the Christian faith. Miles between our rhetoric and our reality. And the danger is, last week we talked about how our souls need refuge, and we talked about how our Father invites us to find refuge in Him. And then let's just be honest and say, how many of us then turned Psalm 16 into our prayer and ran to God Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday for the refuge that our soul needs and that He promises to give? Guys, there's miles between our rhetoric and our reality. So that's one caution. The second caution comes in our big idea for, that, for this week, and, and that is this. Even though my fear says, look at your mess, son. Look at your mess. Your soul is going to be ruined by this. Our Father says, look at me in your mess, and your soul will be renewed. Where's the danger there? The danger is that you and I have such a tendency to focus in on our mess rather than the God who is sovereign over our mess. And so then our fear owns our hearts and tells us that our soul will be ruined and we begin to believe that. And we believe our only hope is for new or different or better circumstances. Because that's the best that a godless um, system of belief would have to offer. But the gospel is better and more beautiful. And her father says to you, no, son, daughter, you look to me in your mess. And your soul will find renewal. 
bigger than your circumstances. I, I, I will renew your soul in your valley, in your darkness. Now, what we did in our first gathering to kind of bring more awareness to our family that there is a real problem. There is a real problem. In, there's a, there is a gap between our rhetoric and our reality, and there is a problem in that I'm so focused on mess and not my God who is sovereign over my mess. And so what we did was at the conclusion of our gathering, near the end, after our songs and communion, we just had an open mic right here and gave people the opportunity to respond to some questions. And we'll build those questions as we go this morning, but the first question is in our introduction, and it's simply confessing need. What in your life right now is threatening to wreck your, wreck your soul? What, what in your life right now made you acutely aware that you need to find refuge in God? What need, what weakness, what, what valley, what darkness do you want to confess? So that'll, that'll be our first question. The good news of Psalm 16, not only is it invitation from our dad... It also serves as a pathway to counteract the problem that we have with this, right? If we have a tendency to focus on mess and not, the, not our God who is sovereign over our mess, and if we have a tendency to believe this lie that our souls will be corrupted rather than, uh, or wrecked rather than turning to the God who promises renewal in our mess, Psalm 16 gives us a very short and simple pathway by which we can lead ourselves. So at the mercy of our doubts, or at the mercy of our rebel tendencies. Rather, Psalm 16 gives us the pathway by which we can lead ourselves to to our dad and to in the valleys and to find renewal through him. And here's that pathway. It's right here. Uh, The first one, again, kind of carries over from last week, so we won't talk about it too much because it's more the first half of Psalm 16, but uh, confession of need. Guys, this this is both a personal public confession for David. It was personal. This was a real conversation he had between himself and God, probably daily, not just in seasons of crisis, remember last week, but daily. But it's also public. It became a community song, and it is public for us. Guys, the pathway to renewal begins with both personal confession of of need. You've got to have that conversation with your, your, your heavenly father, your dad, but it's also a public confession of need. If we can't share honestly with each other, as the gospel gives us freedom to do, we should have no expectation of renewal. If we can't name the need and be honest about our need, uh, we shouldn't expect to find renewal. So it begins with confession. But this morning we'll focus really on these two, commending my father and clinging to my father. That's what, what he talks about in the second half of Psalm 16. And then for those who confess and commend and cling, there will be confident expectation of renewal, it's not a confidence that you give yourself, so you don't have to generate it, okay? That's good news for us. You don't have to make yourself strong and make yourself believe and and fire this up internally. It's a gift that the Father gives to those who confess, commend, and cling, and then he gives this increasing confidence that, man, my valley is really bad, but my Father is really good, and he's going to renew my soul. And we can confidently expect that renewal. So let's begin by talking about the, the commending our dad. Uh, that's in verse 7 where David says, I bless, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. Some of you don't like the word bless, uh, especially if you, if you grew up in the South. Because it's the opposite of what the Bible means, right? Because you know, I know you know, because I'll bless your heart. 
is not sweet and innocent or really even sincere in the way that you expect it is. Like, that can be a really loaded bless your heart. You know it's bad when the person says, bless, right? Have you ever heard that in the South? You've heard that? Oh, just bless, bless. I have, and there's no blessing intended. That's straight up curse, right? Curse through a kind word. It's a southern charm. Bless. Um, some of us don't like it because it feels too much like a Bible uh, word to say that we're like culturally Christian word, and especially if you've grown up in churches where maybe that gap between rhetoric and reality, bless becomes one of those words that just triggers gag reflex because you're like, this is part of the fake <clears throat> Christian experience that I, that I have. So let's clear that air. Bless simply means to speak well of somebody or to use our vocabulary today, to commend a quality about somebody. That's what it means to bless. So David is saying, in my darkness, in my valley, I'm faced with a choice. Um, And we know what that choice is. I can complain about my day, or I can commend my dad, who is sovereign over my day, right? The, The choice is very clear, and we feel it every morning. We have hearts that run to the complaining, don't we? I mean, can we just be honest and confess that now? That is one of our greatest struggles. We complain about the, the orders to Okinawa or our, the people we work with or whatever, fill in the blank. We, we tend to complain. And David says, no, I, I recognize that tendency in myself, and in its place I choose to speak well of my dad, to speak well of the ways that he is proving himself to be faithful and kind and good to me, even in my valley. But still, you're like, John, that still feels a little bit fake. Like, I've got to be able to authentically communicate or express what's in my heart because I hurt. Well, again, the good news of the gospel, that is the gift of confession. And confession replaces our rebel tendency of complaining. Because, guys, confession is our father's invitation where he looks you in the eye and he says, Son, I want you to tell me exactly how you are feeling, and I want you to use all of the words that you are thinking, the way that you are feeling right now that you would never dare communicate or express to your mom or your grandmother. That's exactly what I want you to say, and it's, it's the posture by which I want you to communicate it to me. I want you to be real. An invitation to confession is an invitation from our dad to express exactly what is on our mind, our hearts, in exactly the way that we are feeling. So we don't have to complain. We can confess. We can tell our dad exactly. So our father gives us all kind of room to say exactly how we feel. And dad, I don't like this day, and I don't like this circumstance, and I I wouldn't choose it for myself. But where confession departs complaining and moves uh, forward towards renewal is through commendation. But, Dad, even still, you're kind to me. And in the past, you've been faithful. And I just need you to be faithful in this brokenness again. So I'm going to choose to commend those qualities about you that you have shown to me in the past. And I'm going to commend them still, even in this valley. You're patient with me. You're kind. You give me what I don't deserve. You keep me in the family. We commend the Father. David commends him specifically because he, he says, my dad, my father, he counsels me. You see that? He counsels me. Meaning, maybe two things. Counsel can be wisdom and um, empathy. Let's say that. Wisdom and empathy. So the father counsels you in your valleys in that he gives you wisdom for life. He tells you exactly how to live. He tells you exactly how to pursue peace, how to handle conflict, how to posture your heart, how to treat people, how to respond to pain, all the wisdom for life, how to deal difficult people, 
Oh, our father, if we will have ears to hear it, David's commending his dad because our dad speaks into our pain the very wisdom we need to navigate well through the pain in a way that is glorifying to our God and good for our souls and good for the souls of people around us. Wisdom. But that's not all counsel. is. counsel includes empathy and compassion. And so I hear David saying, when I'm in those valleys and I, all I can see is my fear I'm believing my soul will be ruined. I commend my dad because he's my counselor, because he says to me in the pain, you're my son, David, and I love you, and I'm not disappointed in you, and I'm not going to leave you, and there's nothing you can do that, can, that will make me change my heart about you and want to kick you out of the family. I, my son died for you, and I adopted you in. It's a forever family. I don't do foster care. I do adoption. You're not going. I changed your last name. It's legal and it's irrevocable and I love you and I'm here with you in the pain. And it's not purposeless and I know you don't understand it right now, but I will not leave you. You're my fully loved daughter, fully accepted, perfectly accepted, fully affirmed in Jesus. And so our Father's voice, as he counsels us, it's wisdom, but it's also empathy and compassion. Your Father whispering into your ear, I love you. I will never leave you, and I'm with you in this pain. That's what David commends. David even says, in the nighttime, my heart counsels me too, which that's helpful for us because oftentimes in our theology of the heart, we, we, we go to an extreme that we shouldn't go to as Christians, and here's what I mean. We rightfully understand that in our rebellion, our heart is not our ally, it's our enemy. It's the very thing that leads us away from the God who created us, right? So it's enemy, not ally. But is our father not making all things new? Is he not redeeming everything through his word? Has he not adopted you in? And has he not given you a new heart? Has he not given you the Holy Spirit to speak truth to your heart? Is he not filling your heart with his word? So what David is saying is, redemptive work that God is doing to change my heart. We've got to believe this about our hearts because too often I am guilty of saying it and I hear others say it. We always say, never trust your heart and your heart is your enemy and all these things. And to a point it's true, right? You got to doubt your doubts and don't doubt your dad, right? We got to scrutinize our hearts in ways that we would not scrutinize our dads, okay? So yes, that's still true. However, it is also true that our Father's redeeming and restoring our hearts. And so the gift that God is giving David is, not only is God counseling David with wisdom and empathy, compassion, but he's also reforming hearts so that his heart is increasingly becoming an ally and not an enemy in those dark seasons. And so now his heart is also speaking these very same true things into his heart. And David's like, that's awesome because that's not how my heart used to be. And so I commend my dad for that. It's beautiful. And that's the gift that our father gives to you as his sons and his daughters. Now, I, just, I need to make one aside as a pastor about counseling, okay? Because um, for those of us who grow up in circles that have a high view of God's word, and we tend to take everything like super literally and be very black and white with things, I have heard people walk away from this passage and say, see, God's my counselor. I don't need counselors. Or they would judge others who go to counseling and be like, what's wrong with your faith? Why don't you listen to God? If God were your counselor, you wouldn't need counselors. That's not good interpretation or application of this text. It's really a misguided. Yes, God is our capital C counselor. And any counsel we receive from another subordinated to or submitted to our Father's voice. But what do we know from Proverbs? Proverbs says, in the multitude of what? 
human counselors, their safety, safety, wisdom. Um, we know God in his common grace has gifted all people, not just Christians. He gifts all people. And some people are uniquely gifted to help uh, in mental areas of mental health or emotional health or whatever the area of counseling may be. Bottom line, as a pastor, all I'm trying to say is, let's never invoke this passage to say, God's my counselor, we don't need counselors. Let's be wise to receive all of God's word. We submit all counseling to the Father's counsel, but we're wise people, and we surround ourselves with counseling and counselors to take advantage of the grace that God so freely gives uh, for his fame and for our good. God's kids should be the first ones to run to counselors in difficult seasons and preemptively before difficult seasons. Counseling's wise, and counselors are an incredible gift of God's grace. All right, that aside, counseling's good. So we commend our dad. And then as we were in those valleys and our hearts are tempted to be, uh, right, we're consumed by fear, we lead ourselves by commending our dad and then clinging to him, and that's where David goes next. He says, I have set the Lord, verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. So two ideas. I've, he says, I've set the Lord before me. That's, a, that's vision language, meaning I have intentionally taken steps so that throughout my day and in my valley, I have words, images, people, songs around me so that all point me back to my Father and His goodness so that I can lead my heart to Him rather than being consumed by the fears in the valley around me. Right? I have always, always set the Lord before me. It's just vision. Meaning I've, I do what I have to do to make sure I see my dad. I don't want anything to obstruct my view. The second word is um, that it, I've got him at my right hand. And I'm sorry for those of you who are left-handed, but Scripture always paints being right-handed in a positive light. But again, remember, God is redeeming all things and making all things new, so you too can be right-handed in the kingdom. Hang in there. (laughs) I'm just messing. I love lefties, especially in baseball. Um, But what what David's doing and what Scripture's doing when it talks about the right hand, it's, it's kind of a symbol of the strong hand, the quick hand, my hand-eye coordination hand, right? I bat right, I throw right, I shoot right. That's, that's all we're talking about. So what David's saying is, I know my tendency to run away from my dad. I know my tendency to look at my mess rather than the God who's sovereign over my mess. So I'm going to take steps so that I see him, do what i got to do, and I'm going to take steps so that on my first impulse, my first instinct to reach for help, right? I reach hand, the first thing I'm going to encounter because I've placed it there, him there, is my God, my Father, my Father's Word. Because I know, I know I'm going to reach for help, so I'm going to pre-position the help so that he is always at my right hand. Quick draw. He's right there. I can imagine David had passages of Scripture. I can imagine David, we, we don't have to imagine. We know he had um, songs, music. We know David had friends. We know David had a community of faith. Some of the best ways to keep the Father at our right hand and always before us is to regularly gather with his family where we hear his word, his voice. And communion is one of the best gifts that our Father's given to us to help us see our kind Father week in and week out. The songs that we sing, the creed that we read, these are all 
steps that we take to keep the Father right in front of us and to keep him at our right hand. So the question is, what steps are we taking daily? Like, what are the choices we're making so that, like, acknowledging our tendency and saying, I'm not going to be ruled by my rebel tendencies. I am going to pre-position reminders everywhere. Windshield, mirror, cell phone, note cards, my desk, the kitchen counter, the sink, the dinner table. The, they're just going to be surrounding me and my family. We're going to see Dad. We will have our eyes taken off of our Father by the mess surrounding us. Not going to happen. We will pre-position reminders and we will participate in the Father's family so that at my right hand, my quick draw, my impulse for help, we reach for my dad and his word, right? That's what he's talking about. And he says the person who does this will not be shaken. That's what he says. That's the promise. Those who confess need and commend the Father uh, in place of complaining, because when we complain, we're really commending that we're in, right? So we're commending our Father, and then we cling to Him. David says that person will not be shaken, no matter how deep or dark the valley. So we have a couple questions that we can respond to now at the end of our gathering. What's threatening to ruin your soul right now? How do you want to confess your need? What do you need to confess? What's your valley right now? What would you like to commend about your dad right now? How is he showing himself to be kind and faithful? Right? What, do you, what do you have to commend, even in your valley? And then the third question that we could respond to is, what gift has your father given to you that's helping you cling to him? What, what verse? What passage? What song? You can sing it for us when we're done. Or just recite the lyrics. Uh, what's helping you cling to the father? And David says that person, not only will they not be shaken, but look at this renewal that happens. And this is what our heart needs. Look at verse 9 and 10. Therefore, my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. That's what you want. You want a glad heart. Remember last week when we read the sorrows of those who pursue other gods instead of the one true God, the, the, the sorrows of those who begin to believe the voice that says this mess is going to ruin your soul rather than believing the Father who says, look to me in your mess, I'm going to renew your soul. Those sorrows multiply. So the Father is promising to rip those sorrows out of our heart and replace it with gladness. And David says, that gladness is so thorough. It's not the fake cultural Christianity that says to you, just fake it till you make it, which is not a thing. It's not a thing. You confess it till you make it, which doesn't have the same ring, but sorry. We can work on that together. You confess it till you make it. I just, I'm just weak. I can't make it. I, don't, I got no fake in me. I have no fake. I'm not a good son. I doubt my dad. I stare at my valleys. I don't stare at my father. I listen to other voices. I don't listen to his. Man, if I could be kicked out of the family, I would be kicked out Monday through Saturday and twice on Sunday because I preach twice. It would just happen, guys. No fake. We confess. We confess. We confess. We confess. We confess. He says, I'm going to make your heart glad. I'm going to make your whole being rejoice. I mean, that's as thorough as it gets. You can't get any more thorough than whole being, right? This is mentally, this is emotionally, this is physically. There will be a joy 
that flows out of you. Now, and here's the good news again. Fake Christianity or religion would say you need to generate this joy, but you can't. It's a gift that the Father gives. It's a gift given to those who confess, commend, and cling. And as we confess, commend, and cling, we see that our Father is already moving towards us and already replacing the sorrows with gladness and already making all of us rejoice. And my favorite line in the passage, verse 9, my flesh also dwells secure. Anybody tent camp? You like camping? Oki's great for tenting, right? No, because you can't sleep in the humidity. It's awful. There's snakes and big spiders and all the other things. Um, it's just the way it is. Sorry. But that's the language that David is using, pitching a tent and choosing to live. Well, for them, it'd be more permanent because they would tend to, that culture would tend to dwell in tents. Um, in our culture, we like to talk about a forever home, right? That's what we talk about. I'm going to get out of the, it's our, it's our fairy tale. I'm going to PCS. I'm going to EAS. I'm going to retire. We're going to find our forever home. It's fun. Um, I'm not trying to make fun. It's, it is beautiful. But it's the same language. And what David, here, guys, this is the beauty of the gospel. See, apart from the gospel, your only hope is that your circumstance changes. Better job, better orders, better promotion, better assignment, better spouse, different spouse. That's your only hope. Different, different, different. The beauty of the gospel, you're not at the mercy of your circumstances. You're at the mercy of the kind Father who is with you in your broken, broken circumstances. And he brings the joy. He brings the gladness. You don't need circumstances to change for there to be less anxiety and more peace. Don't need that. And that's why David says, I'm pitching my tent right here. I'm in a valley and I, don't, I can live here now. I don't need better. I just need the Father. So see my valley? I can confess it. I can be honest about it all, all day long. It's dark and I don't like it, but I am building my forever home right here because I have everything I need in the Father's presence. All the gladness I need, all the eradication of my sorrow, all the peace, all the confidence, all the joy. Not at the mercy of my circumstances. Look at my home. It's forever, and it's in this valley. And I love that because fake Christianity and religion would say, there is, an, there is a version of this life that will be valley-free. There's a version of this life that will have no sunrise, no darkness, no pain. The only reason you're in a valley or pain is because your faith's not strong enough. If you just had better faith or were a better Christian, you wouldn't be in a valley. Guys, those are all lies. We talked about this last week. The reality of life in this broken world is not just that there may be valleys in different seasons, but that the entirety of your life may be lived in a valley. It's all right. I can build my forever home in a valley because my father's there with me, and I get everything I need from him, not the circumstances of the people around me. And that's exactly what David means. Look, he says, uh, my flesh also dwells secure. I can build my forever home here. Because you're not going to abandon my soul to the place of the dead, Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. Not abandoned in life, I won't be abandoned in death. What else do you have that would be fearful to me? Now, David wrote that about himself, and it was true. Father, in this situation, did not abandon him to death. But we know what the New Testament writers did with that, with that line, right? David, though he didn't know about it, was writing prophetically about Jesus and all New Testament authors take that verse and they apply it, apply it to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus died on our, on our behalf, in our place. He went into the earth. He was buried, but he was not abandoned in death. He did not see corruption. The Father raised him to new life, and the Bible is very clear, the good news of the gospel. If by faith you believe 
that Jesus is your rescuing king. You are united to him by faith. The death he died, you died with him, dead to sin, dead to rebellion. And the resurrection, the life he now lives, you share with him. You live with him. That's our father saying, not only will you not be abandoned in life, you will not be abandoned in death. And that was good news for David before Jesus and before the cross. How much better or how much more hopeful for us now that we understand exactly what Jesus has done in our place and the hope that we have in the resurrection of Christ. I can build my forever home in the deepest, darkest valley without fear or hesitation. Not because I'm special or a really good Christian, because I'm not, but because my Father is that incredible and that good and that kind and that sovereign over my circumstances. And the renewal for your heart in this lifetime, the offer of renewal is so complete. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Notice what David does. Kind of throughout the theme, in the, in the, in the, in the theme, or throughout this psalm, there's this theme of being in pain, being threatened, the possibility of being shaken. And so David, in a sense, is alone in a valley with no joy. And look at how he closes the psalm. He talks about presence. He talks about pleasure. And he talks about a path, a path of life. So we see this movement then for David's heart. Yes, he's still in a valley. It's still a difficult, broken life. But the Father has given him a clear path through that valley. And the path's name is life. Life is not found outside of your difficult circumstances. Life is found inside of the difficult circumstances on that path called life that the Father gives to you. And you're not alone on that path or in your pain. The Father, that's what David says, you're, you're with me. Your presence is with me in the valley. And because there's a path of life, a pathway through this pain, because you're with me and I'm not abandoned and I won't be shaken and I won't be kicked out of the family and you love me and you're fully pleased with me, there are pleasures forevermore. That's just David's poetic way of saying there's joy in my heart that cannot be taken situations. Because this whole psalm is a beautiful invitation from our dad. And that's Psalm 16. So now let's work together to eliminate the miles between our rhetoric and our reality. Grant's going to come and lead us in communion in our songs. And uh, with his song, songs, when we're done singing, there will be a mic right here. I'll just pray for us briefly. And you will have the opportunity to just come when you want to and answer any one of the kind of three or four questions that we've considered. What is threatening to ruin your soul right now? What do you want to confess that you need help with? Just confess it publicly. Uh, what do you want to commend about your dad? How's he being kind to you or faithful to you in the valley? Uh, Father, helping you, just share the verse that's been meaningful to you. Share the song. Share the gift of community. Whatever God is doing as your father to help you cling to him, uh, share that. Or, you so deep into the valley, but in a way in which the father's presence is your soul so your perspective has changed and there's a lot of hope there and if that's you there are those of us in the valley who are not nearly so far along and our hope is not as full so maybe you could share with us how exactly has the father so beautifully renewed your soul in a way that's just been incredibly life-giving stories sometimes 
This is not a gospel story. So not long form. Simple answer to any one of those four uh, questions, okay?